coffee's brewed. Grab a cup and come and join me on three special episodes of The Big Run brought to you with the support of Exhale Coffee. I'm going to be sharing a cup of the good stuff post-run with athletes from different spheres of the running community. From chasing vert on Box Hill, Tempo in Bushy Park to a shakeout in central London, each conversation has been recorded following directly from a run over a hot cup of Exhale Coffee. Exhale Coffee is so good. As soon as you open the bag, you, you know you're in for a treat and when you taste it, yeah, it's, it's delicious. And it's actually good for you as well. And that's because it's the first speciality coffee in the UK to be sourced and roasted especially for health. There have been tests done and one cup of Exhale Coffee has the same antioxidant power as 12 punnets of blueberries, 55 oranges or 1.2 kilograms of kale. There is nothing added and it has no nasties. Thank you so much to XL for supporting these three episodes. Today's guest is Holly Rush. Holly is an ex-international road marathon runner turned ultra trail runner. In 2010, she was selected to represent Great Britain at the European Athletics Championships in Barcelona. She went on to come 8th at the Commonwealth Games in 2010 and has represented Great Britain at the World Mountain Championships twice, winning Team Silver and Bronze. These days, she's more likely to be found in the mountains, having run her first 100 miler in 2017 and has gone on to do many mountain ultras, including UTMB, the Annapurna Circuit and climbing Mont Blanc. We went for a four mile shakeout along the South Bank on a busy Friday evening before her pacing duties at the ASICS 10K the following Sunday. Let's do the coffee first. And then I'll set up all the rest of the gear. Okay. Oh, you've bought enamel mugs, they're my favourite. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So this is decaf that I ground this morning. I, I tried to leave it as long as possible, just so it was as fresh. That was a change of t-shirt. Yeah, because I always um, grind our beans, it's quite sad. See, when I met Pete, he had instant coffee. I was like, you have to oh deal with that, it's just awful. Well, I, I worked with a guy who's a real coffee purist. It's, I got like an espresso pod and he was like, yeah, I do. Like... No, but I've gone back old school because I used to do AeroPress and it just got on my nerves. So right. I am French press, mm -hmm. but Pete's gone back to the old uh, stovetop. Oh, right. But we've got an Arga, and I'd always been doing it wrong. I'd put it on the really hot plate and it was burning. It was disgusting, the coffee, mm. whereas it's much slower. And he's obsessed with that now. Yeah, yeah. I sort of time... Oh, I can smell it. I've had coffee machines. No, I don't get on with them. That's the decaf stuff Ooh, that I've given you. that's lovely. Mm, it's really good. I love that Alex is probably listening to this audio right now and being like, oh my God. Oh, are you actually recording it now? Yeah, yeah, oh, brilliant. Recording. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We're recording now. Um, so when you do your coffee, though, do you mm. do French press? I do, yeah, French press. Yeah. Cafetiere. Yeah. We, do have a, we do have an espresso machine as well. Do you? Yeah. yeah. Just because sometimes it's really quick and I just like, I need that. Yeah. I ain't got time. When you say go. an espresso machine, what, which one? What yeah, like espresso? a pod. No, it's an espresso. Oh, pod, okay, like yeah. A, mm, yeah. Yeah, like quite like this, because you have a nice crema with that, don't you? Yeah, it's all right, but I mean, this stuff is the, this is the good stuff. We have a really good, um, or we have quite a few good coffee shops actually. There's some amazing ones in Bath, but in Froome, one called Frama, and he's very, he literally just sells coffee. And, um, and he's also, this is what I love about Froome, is people just sort of open when they want to. So we still have a Monday, people don't open on a Monday. Right, okay. It's very, because we've got no business rates. 
at all? No. In through? Because we have our independent council. We are off-piste. Wow. Yeah. Okay. I didn't know that. Is that a commonly known thing about through? Yeah, I think so, yeah. We are the, we've got an independent, so we have the independent markets, we don't, yeah, so basically... So Froome Council, basically, you said, we've taken a vote. There's part of the Froome um, that has some business rates, but other places that we don't. So we have the old quarter and then the keep Froome shit quarter, which is the shitty 1970s area. Um, there are actually people... Sorry, people of Froome. <laughs> there are actually people who drive around with stickers on their car saying, keep Froome shit, which I love. Because obviously there's lots, lots of Londoners coming into Froome. Right. So, you know, we want to... Smooth it out. Okay. Um, so yeah, but anyway, so gotta it, keep what's, those house prices yeah, high. Yeah, no, exactly. We do. Um, but I love that. Yeah, in and some of the shops like we, they open sort of when they want. So you might go down and go. Oh, they're closed together. Okay. Oh. Get, uh, oh. All right. See you later. Yeah. I love that. It's like going to uh, France. A bit like no, that. it's very, it's very like that actually. We have got a French um, sort of antique place that does coffee and alcohol. <laughs> And croc monsieur Perfect and pastries. <laughs> yeah. Perfect bedfellows. Yeah. Oh, Pete's going to be so upset he's missed this. Well, I'll, I'll, well you've got it. I mean, have you got a hand grinder with you? No. Are you that prepared? My hand grinder is, was 50p in a charity shop about 10 years ago. It. And it's the best thing ever. Absolutely love it. Oh, oh that is so smooth. Is it all right? Yeah. Oh, good. There we go. Do you listen to stuff that isn't about running? Yeah, good question. Um, yeah, actually, this is weird. So when I lost my dad and then my dog very closely together, I was oh, absolutely grief-stricken. And I started listening to Griefcast because someone got me onto that. I don't know if you've listened to it. No, it's but brilliant. I, like I, I should. I lost my dad when I was, when I was quite young Oh, well. did you? Yeah. yeah. So maybe I should. Oh, no, it's really good. Really, really good. Be. I mean, I used to listen to it every Monday. It was like the Monday that I, my day where I could grieve on my run. I listened to it when I ran. Okay, that's yeah. part of it. Yeah, right. yeah, and I'd have to, sometimes I'd just sit in a field and just howl. Interesting. Mm. It was really, really good. And it made me realise that I wasn't the only person. That's what, kick, like, that's what kick-started my fitness thing. So I've been on and off for, like, for years. But my dad died probably 12 years ago now, and that's what, that's what solidified it for me. Mm. Definitely, because it was freak. Literally, just something went in his heart. Really? Yeah. Oh, wow. Yeah, didn't drink, didn't smoke. Really healthy. I see my dad was the complete opposite. Right. He did everything in his world to kill himself. Right. But it took him a long time. And okay. I had to nurse him, which okay. was horrible. And my relationship with him was very, very difficult. So there's lots of things. So him dying was not really the... the him dying was not... It's been since that's been the hardest thing for me because lots of things have come out mm. that I obviously were trying to, I don't know, there's so many things intertwined with it, but mm. the, the, the thing for me was obviously nursing him with cancer and just seeing him die, like he had esophageal cancer, which is awful. Right. It's very slow and just horrible and yeah, it was just so exhausting. Um, so yeah, so but, but Griefcast is a brilliant podcast, really, really good. So she interviews um, uh, mainly, we start off as comedians, Okay. And then she interviews all sorts of people, but it's really, really good, really worth listening to. But yeah, mainly running. Oh, maybe the odd like murder one. I love a murder. Oh, okay, like true crime kind of true thing. True crime, that's it. Yeah. Is that good? Is it recording? Yeah, we're recording. Okay, so we can take these off now. You can hand that back to me. Thank you very much. And then we switched over mics. So we've just got done with a, I think it was, it was a shakeout run, isn't it? Because you're, you're racing on Sunday, right? I am racing on Sunday, yes. We just did a, like, four-miler, didn't we? 
And now, we're, although it has been an incredibly hot week, we are, well, we've just finished a, uh, a lovely cup of exhale coffee. It feels slightly, slightly bad having a hot drink on a hot day, although... And on a Friday. And on a, mm, yeah, sorry. I'm teetotal, I don't drink, sorry. Oh, do you not? No, 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 no. Oh, so, wow. That's a whole other thing I've learned about you. Mm-hmm. Yeah, okay. I, that's, that's a whole other story. That is a whole other but, podcast. But this, this, is, this, is, this is your episode, it's not mine. Although we have been talking a little bit about me, but like it does feel like... It feels bad drinking hot drinks on a hot day, although I feel like maybe it was like a PE teacher or something. No, there is. You're supposed to have a hot drink is supposed to cool you down. I What's think the that's. Logic, Betty? I don't What's get that. I think it's utter garbage. Is there any science behind no, that? No, but I don't, I don't know. I mean, I'm not a science teacher, obviously, but um, if You're I not, eat. Oh, right, okay, cancel the <laughs> Okay, that's it. No, I thought you were, that was what the podcast was about. <laughs> if you eat a hot dinner, you get, I get really hot. Mm. So therefore, why would a hot drink be any different? No, it, I feel like it's like an old, an old, I'm not going to say urban old myth. wives, urban myth, I think that's been passed down. Um, so shake out run, race on Sunday, although you're not racing, you're pacing on Sunday. Yeah, right? I mean, I say it's right, yeah, I'm, I'm pacing, although anyone that knows, because I have actually been doing quite a bit of pacing over the last couple of years, well, obviously not the last 18 months, but... Mm. For people and anyone that's had me as a pacer will be probably rolling their eyes when they listen to this because I can be a bit bad as a pacer. I have been known to just go off halfway. <laughs> Terrible, what, isn't it? to leave people behind. Yeah. Oh no, only if they're not on pace because I don't want to waste my run. Isn't, isn't that awful? I'm really sorry. But um, so, but if it's like a proper pacing job, obviously I wouldn't do that. But I have paced a few friends, and I've just sort of gone. I'm sorry. Do you know what? Do you mind if I just push on for the last ten k? You're blowing up. I've got to leave you behind. No. So the guy that I'm pacing, a friend of mine, I did that in Paris Marathon. Mm. I just went for it the last ten k, which was fun. Just left him behind. Yeah. Well, I think that's someone knocking on the door there. No, I don't think it is. Was it not? No, they'll just push on through. Well, so we're recording this in the, the Park Plaza Hotel just overlooking Westminster Bridge. That's where the race starts, right? Yeah, it's just over there, which is great. It's good. That's, and you were telling me before there's going to be 13,000? 13,000 people have entered. I don't really know how many people will actually run it. Obviously, it'd probably be a lot less because of the whole COVID travel stuff because a lot of them have been actually overseas runners probably. Mm. So, yeah, I think it will be a lot less. Are you, are you excited about races coming back? I am. I've actually been really lucky and I've raced quite a bit already this year. So um, I've loved it. It's a whole different way of racing, obviously. Um, I did a half marathon at the weekend and you sort of queue up to do it. And then you get walk. I sort of walked around the corner and you sort of jog through the start. And that was weird because, you know, when you're on a start line, you've got your watch. And you're like, three, two, one, go. Um, this wasn't like that. So it was almost a bit weird and it's quite hard to actually race whereas so that was my first no sorry it's my second road race I've done this year I did a marathon which was similar you just sort of walked up to a cone and they said go <laughs> like individually it's like a time you know. trial and then the other stuff I've done is trail stuff which has been different than they've actually been mass starts really yeah oh, that's interesting what were the ones that you did that were mass starts um so the ham and lime one that I just did and that was the 100k. 100k. Right? And then I've done a couple of ones in the Brecon Beacon. So in Wales, they were like a mass start. And then the other one was a staggered start, but it was very much sort of like come forward, off you go, next lot come forward. But with the trail stuff, it's it just seems a bit... You don't tend to go off ridiculously hard, especially if you're like doing 100k. Mm-hmm. Easy. You just set off, you know, mm-hmm. yeah, unless you're crazy, which some people are. But um, so, yeah, so that's so... so, so Racing does look very different at the moment and it's and it and it works for some people and it doesn't work for others. So I think there's some really good things about it. Mm-hmm. If you're right at the front, 
and you start in the first wave, it's quite a hard race because you basically just run on your own time trial. Mm. Whereas if you start further back, you can work your way through, which is great. Or if you want to just stay at the back and be with lots of people, it's ideal for that. So I think actually it's, it's for trail stuff, I love it. Mm. So with races then, because obviously you, you, I know you're pacing, but like this is a this is a shakeout run, like and to sort of lean on your obviously your your huge enormous volume of, of knowledge and, and skill. Like, how important are the, the the shakeout runs when it comes to to getting ready for a race? That that week, I think in, in particular, it, I think is quite quite interesting. That week before a race or the days before, like so. How does how do you plan your shakeout runs of your racing? Does it two days before? Is it one day before? Like, how do you factor it into your training? Um, I mean, it's changed over the years. Obviously, when I was competitive road marathon runner um and I sort of changed that in 2013 when I did my first sort of ultra and I moved into that so I have changed it a little bit but basically the way that I do it and I think most people should really in terms of tapering rather than shake out runs but tapering is I always still keep I just reduce the volume of everything but I keep the intensity the same mm-hmm. um and so that basically means if I run five days a week I'll probably still run five days a week in that week before um and I just reduce the volume of that run and I reduce the volume of the session so I still do a session on the Tuesday so if I was doing a marathon on Sunday I'll stu- still do a short session on the Tuesday and I'll still do strides later on in the week um what I tend to do is so for a marathon I would do take Friday off and then the day before I always run mm. um and that is a shakeout run and I'll do some strides as well just to I don't know loosen everything up and then um, and then race on the um, on the Sunday. I did something a little bit different this time with the ultra that I did like two weeks ago, um, three weeks ago. Uh, I did actually quite a reasonably long run midweek, and then I took quite a few days off. Mm-hmm. I looked two day took two days off, and then I did an easy run before I ran. The, no, I took two days off before the event. That's it. So I did the race was on a Saturday, and Wednesday I went out and I ran for about an hour and forty. Was that part of your plan? Like, so you, you work with you work with Alan. <laughs> I work with Alan's story, and it was Alan's plan actually. But actually, quite often, Alan will say something, and I'll be like, "Do you know what? That's exactly what I was going to do." It is. I'm not just saying that. So he was like, "He Alan's story, as anyone may or may not know, is probably one of our best. I think he's one of our best endurance coaches we've ever had. I mean, he's coached some amazing big names. Um, Mo was one of them. He coaches Tomos in Japan right now." Lily Partridge and various other people, many people over the years, medalists. So he's just, yeah, he's an incredible guy. But he does, he you know, his coaching, the way he coaches is very different to each of us and quite experimental. And um, I feel it's experimental. He's not, he knows exactly what he's doing. But so he, he's done London. He was an ultra runner and he did the London to Brighton race quite a bit. And he was like, yeah, just go out and do go and do and I know what I know now I understand why he was doing it it was just to basically burn off get you know use all my glycogen and then the next few days just not do anything so when it is sort of like when it feels like he's sort of chiming with you there's like a level of intuition between the two of you how like how is that cultivated do you think is that just him do you think he's studying the data like when when you're not there or do you you think that's just intuitive that's just his no I think it's intuitive I think it's years and years and years and years of coaching he's so clever like that Um, I mean he has his big black file that he walks around with with you know (laughs) writes things down you know it's all like with a a pen on paper Um, but no I mean I think it's also I've been working with Alan for eight years now God, I can't believe it's eight years and so he sort of knows, we know how it works. And, and also how I've, I'm older, I've got older and 
um, you know, what I can and can't do. And so what I might do doesn't really fit with someone else, remember. I might need, I need a bit longer in between sessions to recover. Mm. Um, I'm not doing anywhere near the amount of volume that I used to do. And we talked about that in the run. Um, but I still keep the intensity. I mean, I'm not running as fast as I used to, but the intensity is still the same effort level mm. as I used to when I was running marathons. Well, let's go back to that then. So when, when, where was your entry point to the marathon? When was, when did you first sort of, when did the distance first come on your radar? When did you first start sort of start taking it seriously? I suppose. Uh, when I first started it seriously was um, probably about my late twenties, um, when I um, moved back to Bath. Um, um, for a job and then I was training just myself um, for, 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 for London Marathon I, I'd i wanted to run I think I'd run loads of marathons around 3.6, 3.10 or something again just running I didn't really do any speed work or anything and then I decided I really really thought I'd see if I can get under three hours so I printed off a plan from Runner's World and I followed that quite loosely but I started doing a bit of speed work on a treadmill really? yeah because I worked I was a gym manager so that's really the only place I could sort of do it and I didn't I wasn't um, I was a member of a club but I didn't train with them it was Bath AC Um, and so I went and I did Berlin and I ran 2.59 and I was over the moon I thought well that's it I've done it that's what I need to do and then yeah (laughs) but just before that I'd met um, a coach someone said maybe you should go and speak to someone at the club at the university and then I I met a coach there and he said okay yeah I think you can run faster just from the stuff I'd done I told him I'd done and he said we'll start well let's start run let's start coaching after for London because I got a place for London Mm -hmm. so I did Berlin in September and then I started training with him in January so what was that journey then from from doing the 259 being like okay I've completed that and then I mean going on and, and competing at like an international level like for team GB and stuff like that, um, that yeah that I mean I never like? ever thought that that was ever something I was ever going to do or wanted to do because I just didn't see that as something I was capable of doing um and it wasn't so I, I started co- training in January and then I went to London Marathon and I ran 248 so that was you know like 11 minutes quicker within a couple of months purely from being doing speed work that fo- that focus of yeah. concentrating on yeah. that yeah and right. i was like oh okay so and then i just continued in that vein and it was just you know building up consistency building up my training building up the volume of miles i was running you know it's not it's not magic it's just you know increasing and then so every marathon i did i i'd knock 2 minutes off 2 minutes off 2 minutes off and then I got selected um, to like a friendly, it was a GB um, event, which was, it was a, called the Standard Chartered Marathon Series where um, there was marathons all, all over, I think it was five around the world and I got selected for GB to go to do that, which is amazing. Um, and that gives you the belief, doesn't it? It gives you the belief that someone believes in you as well and you're going to do more. And, um, and then, yeah, and I went on to, uh, I went to the, tri- the trials, London, London 2010 with the trials, the European Championships and the Commonwealth Games and I knew I had to I'd got the qualifying time but I also had to become in the top six which was massively stressful because there were some really good girls running and um, so yeah it was a great race watching the person next to you we were in a pack you know watching watching mm-hmm. counting how many were dropping off where I was still at and um yeah, and then I and and I came in and I got selected and that was amazing, like m- amazing, yeah. And Europe, the European Championships in Barcelona was one of my best races, I think, 
it, it was things went wrong, but I also came back from it within the race. I sorted myself out. What went wrong during the race? I got the worst stitch. I've never had a stitch before. It was, it was an awful stitch. I thought I was, I was bent over. It was that bad. It was so when painful. When did it start in the race? Oh, like, I think it was probably, like, the last 10K or 12K to go. But it was super hot. I mean, it was, like, actually, it's coming up. I think it's, like, the 24th of July, which is soon, isn't it? Tomorrow. Um, yeah. Um, and it was 11am in Barcelona. So you can imagine how hot it was on a loop. And it was 31 degrees or something. You know, So the, how it's been the last couple of days... It was just awful. So what was the what was the strategy there then? So you got ten um, to go, just stabbing. <laughs> well, pain. The strategy, the strategy, I don't know. I didn't have a strategy, and I panicked. This was the thing, and I was just like going, oh "My God, what am I going to do?" And I dropped back to last person, last Brit in the team, and um, and I knew that it was the fastest three time to get the medals and stuff, and and I I don't know. I can't remember what happened. I can't remember how it, it just went. I bent. I tr- changed my running style. I breathe differently I put my hand above my head you know that old old wives tale you know you had had to it's just like wait I must have looked completely <laughs> nuts I don't running. know that one no we were talking about the oh old, yeah no there's the... one where you put your hand above your head it's a weird thing anyway I think it's probably stretching your diaphragm or something my, yeah it's stretching out those sort of intercostal muscles yeah. in between your ribcage or something who knows anyway it went <laughs> is there any photographic evidence of that? <laughs> no, not with my hand on my head <laughs> It went and I pushed on and I came through the field and I came in third Brit to count, so I was over the moon. So what did you take away from that race then? Why is it something you come back to when you think about sort of some of the previous races? Um, well, for a start, it was so, 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 so hot and terrifying. It's terrifying running in that heat at that fast as well. Um, Had and you done any work in the heat prior yeah, to Yeah, so I actually... So a lot of the girls went to altitude and I didn't. I went to Mallorca for two weeks and trained in the middle of the day. And I think that really, really, really helped me. Mm. Um, so I, d- I did that. Um, I just practised. And I was in really good shape before that. So I think I was, you know, it was just bad luck. I mean, I wonder what would happen if I hadn't had the stitch. I don't know. I haven't actually even thought about that. But um, so, yeah, I took away from it that I'd... I was really pleased with myself that I held it together after my little mini panic and then and then got through it and, and yeah, and finished it. Um, and then from there, because of that performance, I got selected to go to the Commonwealth Games, which was later in the year in Delhi, which was <laughs> out of the frying pan, literally into the fire. What was that experience like in Delhi? That wasn't very much fun because I have to say that year had been quite hard work because I'd already done the trials. Then I'd gone to London, which was only uh, sorry, I'd gone to the Europeans, which was only what three months later, and then. Three months later, I had to go to, to Delhi, so I had to keep recovering, get bring my putting myself together. The holding camp was in Doha, which is just like living in an oven, and which I didn't get on with. Um, and also, Delhi was quite an interesting games because it was the whole there was a lockdown. It was a very it's a little bit like um, the Olympics now. So we had no spectators on the course because right. of the security risk. So in fact, to to be brutally honest, it wasn't the best trip. It was great to go and represent your country, and obviously, and also be in a. Um, when you go to the Commonwealth Games, it's um, they say it's like the the stepping stone to the Olympics, as in a, it helps you because it's um, a multi sport games, as opposed to the Europeans or the Worlds, which is just athletics. Mm-hmm. So it was great to be in a village with people from other sports. Mm-hmm. So that was quite cool. But in fact, the but the race was really really horrible. Not enjoyable. No. 
I mean, what does that do, like, physically, that toll of, like, going from, from Barcelona into that competition? What's yeah. the physical toll on your body like? Um, I don't know how... I didn't run very well at the Commonwealth Games, and, well, none of us did, actually. I think we all felt just flat and tired and full of lentils and stuff from being in Doha and just eating them. It just wasn't the best build-up, mm. and that was reflective in our performances, I think, so... Um, yeah, it was. I was glad to get home, to be honest, because I'd been away for quite a few weeks. It's interesting. You said when you were talking about Barcelona, then you th- you just said like, I-, I wonder what would have happened if I if I didn't get a stitch. Yeah. Do you do you re- do you go back to races sometimes? Do, do they pop in your head and think, oh, I wonder what had happened if I'd maybe done that extra session, or yeah. if I hadn't done that, or maybe I'd done a bit of this. Um, no, honestly, I don't reflect. Actually, I'll reflect straight afterwards, but then afterwards I just move on. Hmm. Um, there are certain races that have like scarred me, <laughs> actually physically, the last race, but um, no, um, like UTMB, I know I talk about that a lot on podcasts, but UTMB, um, it took me a long time to get over that mentally and physically. Why in particular? It was UTMB? just so hard. I'd fractured my foot like four weeks before, so I had no business doing that race. Um, and then I don't know what happened, but something happened very early on. I, I'll, I'll always get nausea in in ultras. It's just what I, happens to me, unfortunately, and a lot of ultra runners do. But for some reason, only 20 miles into a 100-mile race, or more than 100 miles, I just started ejecting everything out of every hole. And I continued to do that all the way around. And, but I, for some reason, I was able to continue... I had to um, like lie down a lot in the checkpoints and take some meds and stuff, but I got I got it done. Were they giving you like drips or something? No, I they had to give me anti sickness medication because I was just to keep vomiting stuff down. so much. Yeah, it was. I I don't know how I I don't know honestly I can't describe how <laughs> awful I felt at what would it have been a hundred k. I just. Imagine having flu, like really bad flu, and you've been sick as well, mm-hmm. and then someone tells you that you've got to run like another 50k in the mountains at altitude. <laughs> you were just like, I can't even walk to the toilet to vomit. That's how awful I felt, but I don't know how... It was all... It was so much mental stuff, because all I kept thinking was, if I'm honest, there's my friend Alan behind and he's going to come past me. <laughs> and also, I'm, well, there's so many people around me who were in the same situation as me... I, my my foot's okay. It's not actually giving me any pain. That was the irony of it. I've not I've not broken it. Nothing's fallen off yet. It's just I can't keep anything down. I've just got to try and get stuff in me, and I've got to just get it get it done. And where do you think that resolve comes from for you? Like just think, you, know, you talk about Barcelona and then that. I mean, yeah. it sounds like horrendous. Is there something that like you could trace back to where that mental strength comes from? Do you think? Something in your in your in your childhood know. in your upbringing like is there is there something I don't know it's weird it's funny that I guess I can take little bits from my parents like my dad was a gamekeeper I was brought up on a farm and I just had to get on and do things like we had I had to work and look after the animals and do jobs but I was never sporty um, my mum's always been my biggest sort of role model really because my parents split up when I was quite young and. So my mum looked after me as a single single parent and has always been hard as nails, really. So she's sort of... She'd never... Even when I do well, she'd be like, oh, that's good, but never makes a big scene about anything. 
Um, and yeah, wouldn't she's how do I say this without she she helps me, but she makes me work. I've got to stand on my own two feet and stuff. Mm-hmm. So maybe I don't know. I don't know. I don't know whether that bloody mindedness is. I don't know. She wasn't like the, the praise wasn't readily available. No, like she'll say stuff now. It's really funny. So Pete will say when he first got together, he said to my mum, he said, "Mum, he said, mum, oh my God, you must be just so amazing, proud because of what Holly's done." And stuff. And mum too. Oh yes. Anyway, um, anyway, what have you seen the garden? She says, does stuff like that. She's just sort of like, but I know that she is proud, but she would never. Mm. Oh, at Barcelona, she was massively proud. I could see that, but she would never overindulge me with that sort of stuff. Whereas, like Pete's mum is thinks the sun shines out of his ass. <laughs> it's so funny. <laughs> Pete, um, but, I sorry. hope you're when you listen to this, but, or if you listen to this, but yeah. my mum's very much, yeah, it's good. Mm. And my dad was definitely like that. My dad never ever praised me. Because I feel like I don't know whether this again. This is not this is not my podcast, but I feel like my mine was slightly the opposite, particularly for my mum that it was probably too readily available, yeah. and perhaps because I was. It's always a question I ask people about mental strength and fortitude and where they think that comes from, or what what systems they have in place in order to have the mental fortitude which they have, which you clearly have, which you clearly had in in UTMB. And I, perhaps because it was so readily available for me, again, I'm not a psychoanalyst, perhaps I don't have that fortitude because I've always had that comfort readily available yeah. from from the sort of, from the from the maternal figure, maybe. It is interesting because I guess you would, um, it's like, it's, it's like if you have people that say, actually, no, it's okay, you can stop now if you want. You know, you know, it's, you know, it's, you don't that's have what to I, do that's it. That's what I sometimes get in the yeah, sessions. See, it's I like, never it's had okay. that. Yeah. But I was, but equally though, I was never pushed. That's what's great about my, my mom and my stepdad who brought me up sort of the second half of my life. They never, um, it was always like, you just do whatever you makes you happy. We were never pushed as, as a family, right. which was good as well. But then we were never massively helped. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, right. But it seemed like, yeah. Nice middle, so, like, you know, you do what makes you have a really, you know, I think that's a great thing but you're going to have to do it yourself. I'm not really one of those sort of people that likes to go, oh, be- I'm an alcoholic because my dad was an alcoholic or something. I'm not an alcoholic, by the way. Um, or, you know, I'm, it's, it's because of this, because I feel like I definitely, you know, I hope I went my own way because I was a single child for quite a long time. Um, so I did a lot of stuff on my own. I was a real loner. I'm loner. That's not. No, I wasn't a loner. I did a lot of stuff on my own because I was on my own. I, I was literally the farm I was brought up and was in the middle of nowhere, which I loved, and I loved animals. Still love animals. Um, so they were my friends. I mean, I actually I didn't realize this. Like my mum said to me the other day, that when I used to go to friends' houses, which wasn't very often after school or something for the weekend, I used to ask to use their phone, and I would ring my mum and say, "Can you come and pick me up? Because I want to go home." Because I just didn't want to be with people. That's so interesting. I used to be scared of birthday parties when I was a kid because I used to enjoy my own company. Yeah. It's similar, but I I have uh, I'm the youngest of three. Okay. And but there's quite a big there's quite a big gap though. So there's like I think there was God, my math is terrible. There's about eight years between me and my brother, and then about oh. six five years between me and my my sister. But yeah, same. To, I used to so it's, yeah, it's probably because you were on your own for quite a bit then. Quite substantial yeah. time. My dad worked away a lot as well, and I think yeah, he's terrified of birthday parties. It was like social, like stimulus, too much. Yeah, too much. Yeah, from my own company. Yeah, so I, yeah, I guess I don't know, but then I'm, you know, I guess I'm quite. 
I am, I really like being with people sometimes. And then I just really like just being, just me and Pete or just with the dog. That's it. Mm. I was, you know, I was fine with lockdown, especially lockdown one. Totally fine with it. And when in terms of people then, because obviously one of one of the things that you do is you work with ASICs and you're part of, you kind of oversee the, the front runner community. Like, what's that like being amongst that community of, of runners from, from all different walks of life, from, from all different manners of abilities and skill? Like, do you enjoy, enjoy being around being around that community? I'm so looking forward to seeing everyone because we haven't seen each other for quite a long time. We'd normally have a couple of meetups a year and obviously we've not been able to do that. Yeah. So I'm really excited to see everyone. Um, tomorrow I saw some of them we were in the Peak District um, the other week so we saw some of them then but um, yeah no I the beginning I have to say I was a bit because the first time I had I got involved is I had to go to the international meet which is very different where you have there's 700 front runners in total mm-hmm. roughly <clears throat> and we all met at, you have this international meet where it, was, it could be in Paris this was in Germany and it was all these mainly young crazy kids all together you know and I'm I was 40 then and I and I just thought like oh I I can't do this this is just awful it was all like quite happy clappy and everyone was genuinely and I thought are these people really this keen Mm. turns out they are um so I was a bit you know I wasn't quite sure but then the UK team are quite different like teams from all over the Europe and the world they're all quite different But we all have a sense, we all have the same va- you know, values and we love what we do. But the UK team, I think, genuinely, we are very diverse and we are they are genuinely a really good bunch of people. And I would say they're like my extended family in that respect. Really look out for each other. And um, I do enjoy it. I wouldn't want to be with them all the time. Good Lord. Sorry if you're listening. Um, because they're all, yeah, they're all slightly mad. And just thinking, going back to you as a runner, we were talking a little bit about this when, when we were out on our run, our, our little shake-out run just before a long... I mean, I call it a shake-out run. It felt more like a kind of an ob- obstacle course running <laughs> yeah. along the South Bank um, at sort of five o'clock on, on a Friday. But um, you as a runner now versus you as a runner back back in like Barcelona or back in the Commonwealth, is, is there something... If you could go back in time, if we had a metaphorical time traveling machine, are there things that you know now as a runner that you'd like to tell yourself then as a runner? Yeah, loads. Um, So the first one would have been, can I just swear on this podcast or not? Yeah. To chill the fuck out. Yeah. Because I would get so... I love how you ask if you can swear. (laughs) (laughs) I do marathon talk, we're very PC. Um, You know, I just get, like, when I think about some of the races I've done since where I've been you know, done marathons and they've not been as fast as they were, but obviously I've not been training specifically for them and I've got older, but I would make such a big deal about some of these marathons, you know, like the weeks before, couldn't go and see people, I'd avoid situations, I'd have to eat certain food, I'd have, if I couldn't get this certain shoes, you know, it would spin me out. I was, um, I think it's control, isn't it? And getting funny about stuff and actually... I did, I've gone on to do some races where I've turned up the day before and I don't even know where I'm going to sleep so I've slept on someone's sofa I've had a glass of, couple of glasses of wine the night before <clears throat> I've had to wear someone else's socks or something because I didn't bring them and actually the race has been mm. I've ran two minutes slower or something That's interesting. and I just think my oh god actually maybe if I'd been a bit more relaxed I do think you have to be you know, there has to be a level of, An element of concentration yeah. and everything. But I wish that maybe I had been a little bit more chilled out about stuff. And then the other thing, 
that I would have done is definitely obviously the strength training. I know I bang on about that now, but I wasn't consistent in my training because I had a lot of injury in my um, in my career. And when you get stress fractures, that's like two to three months out, and then you have to build back. And if you have two stress fractures a year, that's half your year. Mm. And so I wish that I'd been better about looking after myself. So therefore, I wish I'd eaten better. I wish I'd recovered better. I wish I'd done strength training. I wish I'd been... So it's actually quite a lot, isn't it? Um, but I know But I know that the training I did was good. Mm. It's just that I didn't look after myself. Probably. So what do you subscribe to now then? <clears throat> so now, um, personally, mm. I'm not saying this is what people should do. I train a lot less volume because I've got years and years of endurance anyway. And also, I don't want to be running twice a day. I do run twice a day, maybe once a week, maybe twice, purely because I coach someone. So I just take the dog out in the morning and then I run in the evening. But in terms of I don't do big structured double days like I used to, which makes such a big difference. The main one is I don't have to wash so much. (laughs) I was just always washing my stuff and myself. It's better for the environment. It's better for the environment, exactly. Uh, better for my hair mm. um, better for my skin um, so I don't have to do stuff like that also it's so nice to do your training in the morning and go oh actually I can actually live a normal life the rest of my life mm, yeah. um, and I obviously will lift though so I, so that, I guess that would be double days sometimes but I normally just try and do it after a run or later in the day but that's not so Im- it's not impacting literally not so impactful on my body so I don't train as much volume. I do a lot more strength training. So I would rather, rather can an easy run than and do a strength workout. Um, and my strength workouts are very specific and structured to me. So it's, I lift heavy now mm. and I love that. What else? What was the question again? This is this is the stuff. I mean, it's a, it's. I mean, Holly from the past is going to have a lot. Oh of stuff. yeah, okay, the stuff. Yeah, so I don't do as much as that. I do strength training and um, I eat so much more food. Mm. It's interesting going back to what you're saying then about um, not how haphazard you are before races, but how sort of relaxed you are before races. Do you think? Do you think that's an element like that a lot of people should not subscribe to or sort of take from? But that thing of slightly throwing it away before a race, throwing it away in the sense of like, take that bit of pressure off themselves. Do you think there's advantages for a lot of runners to be had? I think there's a lot of really good runners that we have who suffer massively with nerves mm. and almost sabotage their race because of it. Yeah. Because they're so word up about it. Um, but then I guess they just can't relax. I think everyone's different, but I think that, um, I definitely think that I made a much too big a deal about stuff Mm. Um, and I do all of that and then I'd still turn up late or not late but very close to the race and then make myself even more stressed and I don't know why I would do that I would never give myself enough time whereas that's probably the most important thing you should do Mm. and I'll do that now I'll give myself loads of time and that's so much less stressful isn't it do you think that was a subconscious thing or maybe you know I did but I did Berlin Marathon once and this wasn't really my fault obviously but well it was slightly my fault my bag, you know, when you wait for your bags to come round on the trolley and then and then pop out pops, there's a sign saying last bag and my bag hadn't arrived. Okay. And of course, I had all my stuff in it for the race. So I didn't have anything. I had to go and buy stuff at the expo, which is really awful when you're trying to run fast as well. Mm. And um, 
And then I came down on race morning wearing all of this other stuff with my jeans on over the top. I just felt so upset. I was so upset and angry. And my bag was at reception. It had just arrived. So I was able to quickly change into it. Um, and so what I should have done, which is what you should do, is always pack your race kit in your hand. But yeah, which I didn't do. But it was things like that, you know. There's nothing you can do about that. But I mean, that's the other thing everyone always says, control the controllables. Mm. Sometimes though, especially with the marathon distance as well, with, even within the race itself. There's wake a, up and it's blowing a gale or it's raining or it's boiling surrender hot. to it. Yeah, exactly. So where was the transition point? Well, not transition point because you, you're now a, um, a sub, well, not subscriber, you're a mutt runner now. So mountain ultra, ultras and trail. Where was the, the sort of transition point for you to sort of start to, to explore uh, that? It was a very clear transition. So it was 2012. I did Houston Marathon. It was my last... I would say proper road marathon. Yeah. Um, so I'd gone out there to try and run as fast as I possibly could. And I went and ran almost exactly the same time as I always ran, which was 2.37. I'd ran it five times, about the same. And I just had enough. Mm. I just so pissed off with it. And um, I carried on training, I think, up until the summer. And then I just decided, I just kept, yeah, same the same sessions. And I was just so bored of it. I didn't want to be on the track. I just tasted it. In fact, it was the night I just stopped on the track on the other side, took my shoes off and walked to walked across and I just said, I, you know, I just need just a break. halfway through the session. Yeah, I just, like, I just need no. a break. I just can't, it's the same thing over and over and over again and I'm not getting any better. Um, and I always wanted to go to Nepal and I found a multi-day race because I thought, well, it's not an ultra, but it's a multi-day, it can't be that bad. Mm. Um, I hated off-road running, so let's go to Nepal to the highest mountains of the world on the most technical terrain. And I booked it and I went. And I, the first couple of days I hated it. I thought, what have I done? This is horrendous. And then as time went on, obviously I fell in love with the place, I fell in love with the distance, I fell in love with the culture. And I just, after that, I talked to people on this event who'd never done road running, who thought I was nuts. And they told me about a race called Comrades. And then little, I, little known race. Yeah, I didn't know anything about it. And I did some research and then I entered it in the next year, 2013. So I went out and did, that was my first ultra how was that? Baptism of Fire? Yeah, it was, oh my God, it was, I mean, anyone that's done Comrades. And also it was Marathon Talk that I'd listened to because um, Tom and Martin had done it the year before. Right. And I'd heard their audio of it, and it's incredible, like the cockerel crowing and playing show solo, so it's just amazing. And it's just like that when you go out there. It's just phenomenal. In, in Comrades in South Africa is like London Marathon, I guess, in the UK, or New York Marathon. Um, so everyone's like, have you done Comrades? And... It was, yeah, it was amazing race. The start. So I did Peter Maritzburg to Durban. No, Durban to Peter. I can't remember. Uphill, anyway. Yeah. And um, it was just, the whole route was just lined with people. It's It was just incredible. But it was a baptism fire because it was really hot. And it was like, there was a wind, like a hot wind. Mm. And um, yeah, it was, it was, it felt like the hardest thing I'd ever done at the time. But actually, I've done much harder things now. But it was, it was super tough and I loved it. And I got a gold medal, which was the most amazing thing that I could imagine. And yeah, it was great. Guys, steering you talk about the, the, the course lined with people cheering you on. It sounds like a million years ago, just given the past 18 yeah. months that we've just been through. And obviously you've done UTMB as well. Are there any races out there that you still still intrigued about? Still I ones really, that you bucket list races? I really want to race it back in America on the trails because I've obviously raced on road. I would love to do Western States. And in fact, I was supposed to be going out to do Lake Sonoma 50 in 2019, but I couldn't because of personal things. So, which was a golden ticket race. 
Um, that's the thing with these races in America. They're all like lotteries. So yeah. It's very hard to get into them. So I'd love to do any of those. I'd love to do... Barclay? No. I would not like to do Barclay. <laughs> Would you, like to, would you like to prove Lazarus, Lazarus wrong? Because he's got a bit of a thing about women not being able to do Barclay. Would you, would you be um, intrigued to no, go? No, I, I don't think I could prove him wrong, I'm going to be honest. I just, I hate brambles. <laughs> we just recently had a bit of a nasty exactly, experience. Because on the run you were telling me about... Uh, from bloody giant hogweed. It? Hogweed. That, if anyone knows anything about giant hogweed, I don't even know what it looks like, but I need to look at what it looks like because it's awful stuff. I've got like boils all over my legs and arms. Hog, right, avoid giant hog. hogweed. Do not go through go it. Go in it. Don't go in um, it. But no, no, I'm I'm not a Barclay lover. Um, that doesn't appeal to me. And also, I just don't feel it's actually really a running race. Sorry to Barclay people. Um, but Western states, I'd love to do like Leadville, mm. maybe Hard Rock. Mm. But um, yeah, any of those I'd love to do. And there's loads of other races in Europe, like Tour de Jean would be great. It's only two hundred miles. <laughs> Um, and obviously I'm supposed to be doing TDS this year, but I've actually deferred it to next year, which is part of the UTMB races. Mm. Um, so I'd like to do that because then I'll have done all, I've done CCC, UTMB and then TDS. I don't doubt for a second that when, when the world does open up that you'll be out there taking them. Well, hopefully next year I'll be doing that. So, but the, but in terms of the American stuff, yeah, we'll see. Love to, I'd love to do them. Fantastic. And just to sort of end our end our conversation, I mean, I, I often ask people this, but if they're, and it sometimes feels like a slightly uh, difficult question, but we talked a little bit about it on, on the run, but with all your experience, like is, is if there was one bit of advice that perhaps you heard, maybe through from Alan, or perhaps it's something that you've coined yourself that you've, you've always wanted or you'd like to pass on to people listening to other runners, what would it be? Um well, there's lots of things that I've talked about, the things that I would have changed, mm. but I still think that everyone, and again, this is talked about quite a bit. I think I've written a blog on it as well, but it's true. I'll just link the blog. <laughs> yeah, yeah, just read that. Um, but it is, um, I hate saying the word because people have been using it quite a lot recently, but it's, it is the why. So, What's your why? But it's why as in for every run or something, everything that you do, the run or the gym session or anything, because... Why are you doing that? It doesn't have to be, oh, I'm doing it because um, it's on the programme and I've got to do it. But there, I think there should be a reason for it. If it's purely the why tonight was for us to go out and have a chat and just jog, mm. that's what it was for. Mm. But if you're going out because, and I'm saying this because I lost my why, I was going out and just doing it because I felt I had to put mileage in or I had to keep my weight down or I had to um, get hit 100 miles that week. I couldn't do 99. If you're doing it because of that, but you're not really loving it, then you need to think, you need to maybe sit back a bit. I think that's the thing as well. Like I started running because I liked, well, like, it was a bet to be fair, the first time I ran. And then I did the marathon and then I really liked it. So I kept on doing it because I liked it. And what happened for me was I stopped liking it that mm-hmm. night that I took my shoes off and walked back because I just wasn't enjoying it anymore. And so you have to, and that's why I wanted, I looked at that race in Nepal because it was something out of my comfort zone, but in a place I wanted to go to and I wanted to be happy, feel happy again. And I wasn't happy. So I think that you have to think about, try and think about all every run that you do. So it could be the, tonight I'm going to do tempo run because I'm training for half marathon and that's what I need to do tonight. But if the next day you feel awful and you're tired or something or two days later and you're meant to do another session, 
but you're tired, then why do it then? Mm. Wait. Yeah. So just think about why you're doing that run. And if you're not happy, then don't do it. You can save it for the next day or two days later. It's fine. Wise words. That feels like a lovely point to end our conversation on. Holly, thank you so much for coming on a run with me and for being a guest on The Big Run. Thank you. Thank you for asking me. Big thank you to Holly for taking me out for a shakeout run along the South Bank and to you all for listening to yet another post-run special. If you are enjoying the post-run format, please do let me know. I hope you've been enjoying me chatting to these runners over a nice hot cup of coffee. As always, thank you so much for listening and I'll see you on the next one.